Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's all kicking off in the political world this morning with Labour banning our very own Julia Hartley Brewer from their conference next year and Boris Johnson making an idiot of himself in a field of wheat. We'll be visiting Birmingham later on for round two of the infighting between the Toffs, the Turfs and the downright awkward squads. First up though, we're talking about a few things that actually matter. Sajid Javid appears to have actually come up with a workable plan for how immigration uh, will manage itself post-Brexit. And it even makes sense. What can it all mean? 03444 Meanwhile, we're being told that nearly 2 million people in this country are at risk of withdrawal symptoms when they give up taking antidepressants. Well, surely the problem is that too many people are actually prescribed them in the first place. 0344 499 1000. Daisy McAndrew is here and she'll be telling me about the big row she got into over the weekend with the trans community and a bunch of feminists. It's all very confusing and we'll be finding out why your dog might not be as bright as you think it is. You're listening to me, Mike Graham. and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, we're going to talk now to Stephen Buckley, Head of Information at Mine, uh, which is the mental health charity. There's a story this morning uh, which is saying that basically millions of people are being warned about the severe side effects which they will suffer when coming off antidepressant drugs. Now, if there's millions of people coming off these drugs, how many millions of people are actually on them? And my first question, Stephen, and a very good morning to you, is going to be how many people are on antidepressants in this country? Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Um, the, the last NHS figures said around about 7 million people in seven England million. were being prescribed antidepressants. That's a significant number, it's isn't it? It's a very big number, isn't it? I mean, my worry is that a lot of people in the medical profession are kind of using these drugs. And I've read stories as well uh, in which they kind of uh, more or less admit that they're using these drugs as a, as a bit of a kind of catch-all mm. for many, many people who might not actually need them. Antidepressants can certainly be really helpful for, for some people with... Uh, mental health problems, particularly people's experiencing perhaps slightly more severe depression, uh, they can be a very effective treatment for some people. Yeah. So I don't think we should go away here thinking that all, you know, all prescriptions for antidepressants are bad Oh, things. no, I wouldn't ever su- suggest that. But, I mean, when you talk about the numbers involved, 7 million, um, you'd have to think, and I know an awful lot of these people are on them for a very, very long time as well, that, that you might say that they are in some cases overused. I think what what would be useful is if there were more easy access to some alternatives to antidepressants mm. for many people. Some people would prefer perhaps talking therapies. You might have heard of things like the IAPT program and CBT and things like that. And those kind of treatments some people find very helpful. And equally, some sort of lifestyle adjustments can also be really uh, valuable for some people with mild depression. Mm. Things like looking at your diet, looking at how much uh, beer you're drinking, 
looking at the amount of exercise you're taking. Those kind of things can all be helpful as well. And be really hopeful that kind of GPs would have those conversations with people. You know, I'm, I'm sure GPs just don't reach for the prescription pad out, of course. But pr- presumably there is an argument to say that it is easier and cheaper for the GPs to reach for the prescription pad because they simply, in their local area, they might not have a talking therapy, a talking therapist who's available for them to prescribe instead of the drugs. The drugs will always be available. Uh, regretfully, that does seem to be the, the case, Daisy. We, we've heard from people in some parts of the country they've uh, they pref- would have preferred to have some uh, CBT, uh, but when they've been looked into it, the, the waiting times were sort of six months, nine months, mm. uh, and, and they've made the decision. Actually, I need help in the here and now, uh, and have chosen instead to have the pills, which was perhaps would be their, 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 their you know not their first choice. And what are the economics of the pills? I mean, I've read. You know, that it, the pills are costing the government seven hundred and eighty thousand pounds a day, or I've read other reports saying you know it's it's nearly three hundred million pounds a year. They seem to be wildly varying reports of how much this is financially costing. Yeah, I don't have the data to hand on that. I, th- I think if you were to look at the NHS drugs bill overhaul, overall, the amount of money spent on psychiatric medicines is, is is not that great. I don't have the specifics to hand, but I think we should focus on the impact on individuals rather than how much treatment costs. Because it's clear that people aren't quite getting the help that they need at the time they need it. No, I mean, I used to talk to a lot of people when I did an overnight show uh, on Talk Sport many years ago uh, about the whole subject of depression and antidepressants and treatment uh, with the NHS. And many of them, uh, I, I was surprised to learn, had been on these antidepressants for maybe 25, 30 years. And nobody had ever suggested anything alternative to try you know they would just keep getting a repeat prescription and and they would just keep taking them and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing but it wasn't really improving their problem no i think that's that's a really important point mike i think one of the things that we don't really really have good data on is how long some people have been prescribed antidepressants Mm. for and what the long-term impact is on their health and their life you know clearly antidepressants can be effective for many people but you know they're, they're serious drugs they have serious impacts on your body and your life People need to sort of be really clear when they have that discussion with their GP what the potential side effects might be, yeah. what the potential benefits might be, and how long someone might be on them for, because they can be on them for a significant amount of time. Because my understanding also, because members of my family have taken them o- over the years, and what's driven us mad with certain members who sort of treat them like a sort of self-medicating thing where, oh, I feel okay, so I won't take them this mm. week, and then next week I'm not feeling so good, so I'll take my, you know, um, my, my pink pill, um, and it'll make me feel better. And, and my understanding has always been you have to be really careful about weaning yourself off and, t- and retaking these pills, but people don't, don't seem to get that message. Yeah, I think, I think that's really important as well, Daisy, that... You know, antidepressants can take a, a number of weeks to become effective for, for someone. Uh, and certainly, I think once you, you've found a dose that seems to work for you, it's important that you don't change that dose unless you've had a really clear conversation with your GP or with your pharmacist. You know, and people might want to, after a period of time, decide that they don't want to take the antidepressant anymore. If that's a decision someone wants to make, having weighed up the, the pros and the cons, they, can, they ought to be able to get support from their GP or their pharmacist who can help them reduce their dose over a period of time. But it's really important that if anyone's currently on antidepressants that they don't uh, suddenly stop taking them because that can be quite, quite a difficult experience for some people. And why is it that health officials are now suddenly coming out with this kind of warning about the possible side effects of, of withdrawal from these drugs? Because up until now, um, they've been relatively kind of playing that down, haven't they? I'm not really. I'm not really sure, Mike. I mean, we're we're glad that the debate's coming out in the open because it's been something that Mind has been aware of for 
yeah, for quite some time mm. from the stories people tell us uh, that people have been on antidepressants for a while, have now decided to come off them and found the process quite difficult. Um, in some cases, perhaps their underlying mental health problem, the symptoms have, has returned. Perhaps they've had other symptoms as they started to reduce their dose. And some of those kind of symptoms of withdrawing can be quite serious. You know, they can be quite difficult physical symptoms like stomach cramps or balance problems or ringing in the ears and, and some quite serious sort of mental and psychological problems as well you know perhaps even suicidal feelings or something that people describe as head zaps which is kind of a you know as, as that sound not a very pleasant uh, sensation mm. but and, and i suppose the point is that people are coming off their drugs and then they get these side effects and they're not side effects that you might necessarily you might not click that it's a side effect of coming off the drug you might think it's just your own uh, mental well-being that's that's so you might not you might not put two and two together and realize it's a side effect mm. yeah that, that i think that's one of the complexities of taking antidepressants is that if, as people establish on a, on a dose they might experience symptoms that they've not experienced before and it's not necessarily clear if that's a side effect of the medication or whether that's uh, a change to their mental health problem and likewise people choosing to come off as well um, so i do think it's it's really important when people are prescribed antidepressants that they're told about what the potential side effects might be. And a, and a tip that um, m many of our supporters find useful is when you are starting a new dose of medicine is to keep a little bit of a mood diary so you can think about and, and document uh, surprising changes to your mood or other things you're feeling or experiencing. And when you get your medicine review with your GP, you can go in with that and talk about the impact that the medicine might have had and you can work through what uh, what what might need to happen next. I mean, if you are a, a potential patient that wants and maybe uh, wonders whether this would be the right thing to try, I mean, without wishing to sound uh, in any way ignorant, which, of course, I would never want to do, um, I mean, how do you know the difference between just having a, a, a sort of a mental health problem with mood swings and, and just having mood swings, if you know what I mean? Hmm. I, I mean, I think that the, the question for me, I, I'd always ask someone, is to try and think about the impact it's having on your life. Yeah. You know, we all have ups and downs. I know I certainly do. We have days when we don't feel quite, quite at our best. Um, but I think the question that I always ask myself is this impact in my life and the way I want to live it. Hmm. So things like, can I still get up in the morning and hold down my job? Can I still have a relationship with my friends and my family? And if the answer to those questions is yes, I, I'm feeling okay. But I think if the, the answer to that question is no, I realise now that it's impacting my ability to, to do my job or hold down a job. I've withdrawn from contact with my friends, which I normally enjoy doing. Mm. Uh, I don't know, I'm eating or drinking a bit more. My relationships have gone to pot. I think that would be a question. That, that for me would be an indication that uh, uh, there's perhaps a more significant mental health problem to address. OK. And I was looking at some of the drugs in question um, in, a, in a, a slightly older piece in which it was a, a survey showing that 80% of GPs believe they're writing too many prescriptions for what they ca call as a catch-all SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And they're things like Prozac, Siroxat, Lustral, Effexor. Are those the kind of drugs we're talking about or are there different ones now? Um, th those would be the sort of common antidepressants. There are sort of different ones ar around, uh, you know, depending on what your, your GP pres prescribes you. Right. But generally, t these days, it, it would be a, an SSRI or a, uh, another type of more modern antidepressant. But your GP would be able to advise you on the sort of the technical differences. And, and do we have any understanding of how long the average patient 
does spend on antidepressants because, again, the figures at the moment show that in the last 25 years there's been a sevenfold increase in pills. But we don't know whether that is a sevenfold increase in the number of people or whether it's you know a similar size number of patients who are on these pills, but they're taking them for much, much longer. Do, we, do you have any idea which is the truth? Not really. The NHS have just started uh, releasing a, a little bit more detailed uh, data on prescribing over the last few months. So we, for the first time, we've really got a, a sense of the number of people in England, which is 7 million. Previously, what we had was the number of prescriptions, which right, is, yeah. very, is very difficult to sort of work with. It's still not really clear how many of those 7 million have been on uh, antidepressants for, let's say, longer than three years or longer than five years. I think I think there's still some work to do there to really understand the kind of life cycle of someone being prescribed antidepressants to coming off and understanding the numbers. And is, sorry, um, it, is there, do you think, a, a, a sort of a longest time you should be on it? Is there, should there be some sort of time limit where your GP would say, right, you've been on these pills for three, four, five Surely years? Surely there must be, right? And, and, and it's time you came off, or is it just horses for courses? Well, what we'd, we'd hope is that anyone prescribed uh, antidepressants gets a regular medicine review with their GP or their, or their pharmacist. Uh, and by regular, I think so. two to three months would be a maximum period, particularly if someone's starting a new drug or a new dose. I, don't, I wouldn't like to put a figure on the, you know, the end point is this mm. because that very much depends on how the individual taking them feels they're affecting them. Mm. You know, some people do find them incredibly beneficial and would find their life very difficult to live without them. And what about children and the use of them? Do they have um, sort of an age limit and the, bot- the bottom end of the, of the age limit, I suppose I'm asking? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I, there are there are some antidepressants that aren't recommended for under 18-year-olds. Right. Uh, there are sort of a, additional kind of uh, safeguards, I guess you might want to call them, uh, about how they should be t- prescribed to under 18-year-olds. But we do know that there are un- under 18-year-olds who are prescribed antidepressants in England. Yes, yeah, so that's a shame, isn't it? Terrible. But listen, thank you very much indeed. Stephen Buckley, Head of Information at Mind, the Mental Health the Charity. That's a shocking number of people on these yeah, pills. 7 I think. million. And it can't be right, I'm sure, uh, that many of them are on them for, for years and years and years and years. No, because you just feel it's the easy option yeah. for the you know, for the GP or whatever yeah. to just you know sign the prescription and say, right, job job done, move yeah. on to the next one. And about uh, sort of choosing to give them to children as well, I'm not too sure about. But let's uh, get some calls on this because I think an awful lot of people listening to this show will have some experience of either taking these uh, drugs or certainly getting them prescribed at some point or other, uh, whether or not they then um, were happy with them or unhappy with them, that's the kind of thing we want to know. Well, one in ten people will get some sort of depression Mm. in their life. Most of those, if they go to the GP, will be prescribed antidepressants. And interestingly, I was looking today at a map of um, which areas of the country prescribe the most number of antidepressants. Mm. And the difference is huge. I mean, in the North East... Um, they prescribe twice as many as in the South East. Really? Um, yeah, Blackpool and Sunderland are the two highest areas of the country for prescription. Now, of course, they are also deprived areas. Yeah. They have very low income areas. So mm-hmm. there is clearly a connection yeah. between you know wealth and prosperity and quality of life yeah. and, and the number of antidepressants being yeah. prescribed. Well, I suppose that wouldn't be that surprising. No. But is it also the case, if you live in either of those areas or if you live uh, in a different part of the country, uh, that it's easier to be prescribed those kinds of drugs because that's all there is? Yeah. There's nothing else to try. You know, there's no centre to go to or there's no yeah, exactly. you know, people to talk to or there's no kind of occupational therapist around or something yeah. like that. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Nine three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. Uh, Alex in Lancashire says, Mike, you say British workers won't do unskilled jobs, but who do you think was doing it before the sudden huge EU influx arrived? Well, an awful lot of the jobs were not being done at all. Well, and and in fact, that was the point that Neil made. You know, he he was saying, well, companies work perfectly well before the influx of of you know unskilled labour from continental Europe, and so they will do so again. But my problem is that the second half of that sentence, I don't think necessarily follows. Just no. because you used to do something doesn't mean you'll carry on doing also, it. Also, the, co- the, the, the economy has completely changed it has in, com- in the last twenty years. I mean, we've got look at all the um, coffee shops we now have, which are the biggest things you see on the high street. They're all staffed almost exclusively yeah. by people who are not from Britain. Okay, and in terms of places like Pret-a-Manger, or which is now just called Pret, you know, they actually did a survey. I think of, uh, the Evening Standard did a survey where they found that actually, uh, when they went to all of the shops that they went to in London, not one of them employed a British person. And many of the people who ran them said, who were British, said, "Well, we don't employ the Brits. They're not very good at it." Which is, you know, a particular thing in London. I think, you know, I would to, for Neil's on Neil's defence, um, his. His argument about immigration causing problems in other areas like um, housing or education. On, in education, he is absolutely right because we've talked so many times recently about the bulge yeah. that's coming up in pupil numbers. We've got 400,000 yeah. extra pupils coming up that have been in uh, primary school recently and caused you know, a huge um, effect on that. And they're now just going into secondary school, yeah. which is why we've got not only we can't retain the teachers, but we need tens of thousands of extra sure. teachers. And that well, we is, need more schools as well. That is primarily caused by a bulge in immigration in but, certain but parts of the country in you go to certain country. other parts of the country there is no immigration problem whatsoever you know I was in Edinburgh yeah. just recently um, and Edinburgh does not have anything like the immigration problems for example that somewhere like Birmingham has or somewhere like perhaps Leeds has you know every part of the country is yeah. not suffering from the same problem no absolutely and that's one of the problems where people where you do find people are very anti-immigrant yeah. it's either where they genuinely do have 
schools that are too full or yeah. housing lists that are uh-huh. too long and they have a resentment because they think it's because of you know of immigration that's caused that and of course if you look at the statistics and spread it out as if it was you know if, as if you could evenly spread uh, immigrants around the country mm. there wouldn't be a problem the problem is when it's in concentrated areas where you have a lot and that's when you get the build up of resentment sure. no absolutely right but you also get it sometimes I mean I used to get people in Scotland moaning about the, in- the influx of immigrants I was like you don't even know what you're talking about there are no immigrants here practically compared to the rest of the country let's talk pat uh, who's in london hi pat hello there yeah i, I mean um i'm gonna sort of turn this back on you okay. a little bit um what if there was a um a sort of um a penchant for the people like uh, lbc or talk radio yeah. to you know hire maybe canadian or american talk well, you know, bizarrely, there, there is a, there's an American bloke works here at Talk Radio who's got the same name as me, which is quite creepy, to be honest. Michael Graham, <laughs> yeah, I mean, his name but, is. But, I mean, if they was in the pre- prevalence, like, and sort of, no disrespect to you or other people, you know, was sort of, ter- what's say turfed out of work, but find it hard to get back so in Pat, the So, Pat, are you, are you saying, you are you saying, let's see how you would like it? Is that is that your argument, yeah, that we wouldn't like it well, if look, we listen, felt... Pat, I'm, I'm in one of the least secure jobs in the world, okay? If somebody who gets hired who's better than me gets my job, you know, that's something that happens, you know? That's the way it goes. Or cheaper the, than you. In the radio business. Or there's nobody cheaper than me. Uh, they can't do me on that basis. <laughs> yeah, but the but... point is, Pat, that, you know, um, we all, we all uh, are subject to being replaced in whatever job we do. But, I mean, no, I... there is no absolute kind of um, campaign going on in any form which is pushing British people out of jobs and hiring foreign people, is there? No, I'm not saying there is. But what I'm saying to you is that if, if you say like you, no, I, I don't know, don't wish it. I don't wish it, so don't take it personal. <laughs> but if, if you were sort of like aimed out tomorrow yeah. and you couldn't sort of like, find another opening you know it would frustrate you be saying oh you're, you're there are in I've this been fired in men- Pat listen I can tell you this I've been fired many times in my life it may come <laughs> as no surprise to you right uh, never because I wasn't any good at my job but because they wanted to replace me with somebody else and I just had to suck it up and get on with it and find another one no well that's that's fine but you're in a niche market the thing is I wasn't always I used to work in newspapers and when I got fired for the third time from a newspaper I thought I might have to go go do something else and that was when I got into radio Mm. Yeah, but I mean, that's, you know, that's fair enough comment. But I mean, if it was sort of like um, loads of pe- English people sort of sort of all clamouring for, say, two, say LBC or talk radio was... I like... wish you stopped saying LBC. upsets me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but they are a rival talk station. Yes. I'm just using them as a metaphor. And there was like loads of English, good English presenters like yourself. Uh-huh. All clamouring for, say, one radio job, and you go in, well, and that's, ah, oh, we've hired a Frenchman, or we've hired yeah. a Canadian. Well, that's, those, are just like, the, those would, are just the breaks, Pat. I mean, that's life, isn't it? It would it would sort of start, you know, giving you the ump, wouldn't it? No, it wouldn't, actually. I've told well, you, I've been in that situation plenty of times. I got fired from a radio job in Scotland. I used to run the place, right? I got replaced by somebody else. I went and did something different. You know, I don't sit around bemoaning uh, things that happen to me in life. You just get on with it. No, that's fair enough. That that's fair enough. But I mean, um, y- you know, it is. <sighs> I don't know what your point is, Pat. <laughs> no, my point is that, like, uh, how would the that, that's your that's your. Um, well, you've asked me the question. It. I've given no, you my answer, no, and the answer yeah, is that, not what that, you thought it would be. 
that's your answer, but how would it be for other DJs that are probably not as confident as you? I don't speak for other DJs. I've no idea. You'd have to ask them. No, well, I, I can't because I'm, I'm, it's you I'm talking okay. to. But you gave, you gave me your answer, which is competent enough, and Thank I'll you. take that as read. Okay, marvellous. We'll see you later. <laughs> This is Talk Radio, and of course, the number is this, 03444991000. Russell says, when I first saw Bozo waving a union flag on top of a London bus at the Beijing Games, I took him for a court jester. Uh, I still think the same. Uh, That's about Boris Johnson, of course, which, uh, as Daisy was saying, people are queuing up two hours before the event to get in. 1,500 people he's going to speak to. Yeah, they've had to open extra rooms just to store these people in the queue. Maybe maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe he's a rock star after all. Uh, Let's go to the phones. Robert uh, is in Dulwich. Hello, Robert. Hi, um, I, I've been uh, listening to you today, and I've been listening to the whole debate on the immigration thing yeah. for years, really. Mm. And I just, I just wonder whether we, we, um, it's worth bearing in mind that for forty years there was something like thirty to forty thousand people came to settle in the country every year, mm. and there wasn't a debate on it, right. not really, right. not, not massive anyway. And then all of a sudden, in the last fifteen years, we've seen that number grow exponentially, and the rhetoric we hear today is that UKIP or the far right of the Conservative Party has hijacked mainstream thinking because they want to get the number down to, let's say, 100,000, mm. which is two and a half times what the 40-year average was. Sure. And what I'm saying is, have you heard of that Overton window? Is it called the Overton window? Not sure. You know, when it's when you shift the um, the parameters or the paradigm through which we understand a particular problem. Uh-huh. And so what, what I'm saying is we've shifted so far over to just accepting mass uncontrolled immigration yeah. that when someone comes along and says, actually, um, there are pros and cons, can we start discussing some of the cons? Um, people just go, oh, you know, you're a racist. Yes. You're a, no, I think you're, you're absolutely, it's a very good point. I think you're right. I think mm. that, that there is no doubt that it was the Blair government, as much as, you know, Daisy was saying, you know, we've had immigration for many years. And of course, we had the big immigration in the 50s from the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and then we had the second wave of immigration from um, Af- East Africa when the, a lot of the Asian people came out of the, the Armin situation. But you're right. I mean, since Blair got in, you know, there has been a definite upswing in yeah. the numbers because they were invited effectively to come, you know? Yep. And I, I would go further, and I know it's been said before, but I believe this is fundamentally and only about big businesses wanting cheap labour and all these lefties who say it's all about being nice and kumbaya and holding hands and sitting around and fight. It's all rubbish. <laughs> this has all been about trying to get cheap labour into this country. And it... And that has consequences. Like, you know, we talk about productivity. There are two ways of getting productivity. The long-term solution is education, but the short-term solution is capital expenditure. So if you don't have cheap labor, companies need to invest in plant and machinery and training, and that's how you lift productivity. And so as a result of that, you will end up with better uh, tax takes, more better public services, all the rest of it. If you, if you push, if you create a low-wage economy, or certainly for a chunk of it, you just end up with unhappy people, you know, a disgruntled populace, and uh, you're not, you know, you're not, you're not putting in the numbers. We've just, we've just been hijacked. These people that run us, all of them actually, because I don't trust the Conservatives. They'll say whatever. They'll never get the immigration down because these people are all fundamentally bent. These politicians are the most. Dis- the breakdown for me, anyway. This is how I feel. I'm a bit of a rant, but. 
I just, you can't trust these people one single bit. Let, let's look at it. You've got Corbyn, mixes with terrorists, uh, got some issues with anti-Semitism. And wants That's to because he's trying stuff. to find peace, though. That's what he says. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. He's only ever concerned about the Jews, though. I mean... Well, that's yeah, true. Well, let me ask. World. Let me ask you this, though, Robert. I mean, I think the bottom line is there's, and I've always said this: there's good immigration and there's bad immigration, and that's another conversation which we're beginning to have, but which we haven't had for a long time. Because you're quite right to say that that a lot of people would say, "Oh, all immigration is good." Well, that's clearly not true. Yeah, but I think also, you know, it's worth um, remembering things like you know, the scandal over Windrush. Yeah. So there's good immigration and bad immigration, as in what's good for the country, but there's also moral immigration and moral responsibilities, whether it's to asylum seekers or whether it's to the Windrush generation. Oh, who yeah. And treated, yeah, yeah. you know, appallingly yeah. badly, and then we had the hostile environment. So you do have to balance all these things out. You know, your moral obligations, your obligations to you know former colonies, your obligations to people who came here to help us and then were treated appallingly, no, no, and your course, financial and economic obligations. There's no doubt, but I'll, I'll end with one point, if I may. Look, the US and the EU take in three to four million legal migrants a year, right? I mean, illegal, I don't know, but let's say you du- you double it was illegal and you say there's 10 million it's not that much but let's say it's that every year in the in the world there are 70 million people born into countries where the average wage is two dollars a day so forget trying to fix the problem by taking in people into your infrastructure in your countries that can't handle it in any way the people are saying we've had enough what we've got to do if we really are a sentient species that cares we've got to look at the problem of 70 million people or two billion people born who can currently live in countries where the average wage is $2 a day. Yeah. So, Robert, so Robert uh, answer me this. Where do you stand on overseas development budget? Because a lot of people in this country say that because we have a very high proportion of GDP spent on overseas development, that it's too high. But your argument, to my ears, sounds like you would rather see the money in overseas development than supporting well, well, I, more well, if, immigrants if worked, in this country. If it worked, yeah. Look, if it worked, and the problem is this, when you've got 12 billion quid that's going out, and you get you get you get stories where they need to get rid of they need to shift six hundred million quid in a month. So they just sign off on any old lunacy. Look, the, the the civil service doesn't have the IT capacity. It hasn't made the investment. It it doesn't know what it's doing with the money. So in the so to begin with, I would say okay, use that money that we send abroad and say okay, look let's look at all the people we've got here. Let's spend the money here on people from abroad. Now, look. The, 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 the 10 billion a year on that isn't the point. We've got to look at the world. We've got to look at why is it that there are so many people still living in abject poverty. And I'm not saying this in the sense of uh, a sort of um, we've got to save the world. We've got to be honest and look at the trade deals that we allow our multinationals to engage with in these parts of the world. And whenever there's a despot who runs off with $4 billion from some poor country, we all know they use Western banks and Western law firms, but none of these people get banged up. So, you know. Very few of them do anyway. Robert, listen, great call. Thank you yeah, very much. I've got to run, though, because we've got other people to get on. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to go up to Birmingham and find out what is going on. There's an awful lot of kerfuffle, uh, which is probably the best way to describe the arrival of Boris Johnson. Argy-bargy. Um, a lot of argy-bargy, <laughs> a lot of pushing and shoving. Incredibly, I mean, we were just saying, only at a Tory party conference would you have people uh, getting so excited to see Boris Johnson like he's some kind of rock star. I mean, they really do treat him yeah. like a sort of boy band, I mean, it's no pop wonder, idol. It's no wonder he behaves the way he does, yeah. because he clearly thinks he's some kind of popular figure. But actually, there is, th- th- there's a serious point there. If you spend enough time around sort of 
frontline politicians yeah. or you know politicians, even the local MP that nobody's ever heard of. If you go to the right event, and I put right in inverse commas, yes. as in you know the garden fates or whatever it might be, they are fated yeah. as as royalty or pop yeah. stars, and of course they'll start to believe it after a while. Well, that's clearly what's happened to him. And uh, funnily enough, it gives us a great introduction to the next sub subject we're going to talk to with Beverly Cuddy, uh, who's the editor of Dogs today, because dogs, it turns out, are not quite as bright as their owners think they are. And maybe Boris Johnson's not quite as bright as the Tories think he is. Uh, Beverly, I'm not asking you to comment on politics, of course, but welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, he has got a sort of dog-eared look about him, hasn't he, Boris? But um, apparently... I think that uh, you're being too kind. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly um, this new study that's been done suggests, I mean, of course, I mean, owners of dogs and owners of children, although probably that's the wrong thing to say. It's probably a hate <laughs> crime. I mean, you always think your kids are more intelligent than they are. And, <laughs> you, and you always think you've got the brightest baby that was ever born. And I suppose it's the same kind of thing here, isn't it? No, well, I've read the article. Um, I think possibly the person who's written is the cat owner, quite, quite probably. <laughs> Um, but also, what it doesn't bring into um, the, the equation is, yes, it's all very well saying that, that um, other animals are probably as, as clever as dogs. But the fact is, when have you ever seen a guide cat for the blind or a um, guide pigeon? The fact is, the dog actually wants to help us. That's the difference. Yeah. They will use their intelligence to assist us, whereas the others may well just be plotting how to steal that, you know, that something <laughs> we're eating. So um, I, I think all animals are more intelligent than we give them credit for. But um, I do think that they, they may have missed the, missed the trick there, that dogs are actually evolving to become more and more clever. And um, somebody should be keeping an eye on this. Cause, uh, what do you I, mean, I, think I, soon I, they'll be driving the car, do you mean? Well, <laughs> funnily enough, we had a competition a few years back called Dog Brain of Britain. And um, we wanted to find the most clever dog in Britain. And the, the, we left the criteria as vague as possible. And we got lots of people saying their dogs were clever. And then we found somebody who really, really did have a really bright, not just one dog, but a few dogs. And she had bred for intelligence. And this was a dangerous thing because we don't really want a super intelligent dog because actually they're not very easy to live with. These dogs had actually evolved to such a degree that they would think about whether or not they wanted to do what you asked mm -hmm. and they would all they'd also start talking back they would they evolved some language it wasn't easy to understand they oh we lost beverly they, they, dogs they, cut they, her off <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so i think there's, there's no reason for them to, 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 to roll an r so um they would ask for water they would say hello which would frighten people. They would go, hello, and people would go, did I just, um, I'm, I'm hallucinating, the dog just... Well, they'd actually me. say the word. Yes. Wow. And Beverly, what breed were these dogs? Well, they, they were a mix of Springer Spaniel, Bearded Collie, Border Collie. So three of the most bright working dogs and mm. the most hyperactive you can imagine. Now, they proved almost impossible to live in a domestic home because they needed a career. They, they weren't happy with the life that dogs would lead. So they all ended up having to do things like search and rescue. or yeah. they, they needed something that keep, kept them going. We're much better off having a less intelligent dog um, if we don't have the time to put in to give them the, um, well, the entertainment they need.
Well, Mike's always bragging about mm. how his dog is not intelligent. Well, it's not. It's like, it's, I'm not really bragging about it, but it's just a bit stupid. I mean, you know, it doesn't come. I mean, it's a lovely dog, and I was going to say they're very emotionally intelligent dogs. I mean, it's, yes. you can always tell what kind of mood you're in, uh, and he's very yeah. loving and all of that. And I mean, you know, but he's he's, he's that maybe he is more intelligent. He just pretends to be stupid because he doesn't he doesn't want to do it. Doesn't anything. want to work. Yeah, it could yeah. be that, that's Beverly. That, that's what they do. I mean, if you look at assistance dogs. They can learn 140 commands. Right. Now, most of our dogs will pretend they don't know the word sit. An assistance <laughs> dog will find the remote control for you. Right. Will find your keys. Why aren't our dogs doing that? It's because they don't choose to do it. Yes. They, they could if they wanted to. And if we wanted to make it worth their while and encourage them with some treats and things, then yes. But we, we would prefer our dogs to be just sitting next to the sofa and we like to imagine that they're stupid it's much easier that way that's the way and, they, and also if they did start speaking if the evolution continued they may actually start disagreeing with us yeah. and that, that's the reason at the moment we come home and we've had a really bad haircut the dog is the only person in the house that doesn't laugh at you or, or if you've got you know sacked the dog is fine the dog is sort of goes well you know uh, i'm still your friend but if that you know if they were able to to converse well, they may not be our best friends anymore. That's true. And Beverly, Mike was just talking about, you know, the emotional intelligence which they show, which I guess is when you're not really asking anything of them, but they do seem to have this uncanny knack mm. of knowing what mood you're in and fitting to it. Or also, oh, yeah. you know, in my household, my husband sort of packs a bag because he's, he's travelling abroad a lot for work a lot. And the dog sees the suitcase, comes yeah. out and goes into a decline because he knows what yeah. it means. And oh. he starts being really clingy mm. around his... And all those things you do, I don't know whether we're deliberately looking for them, looking to to see an intelligence that's not there or whether it's completely genuine. We, we know what it is. That is a dog that has worked out, oh, he's going to be away, and he's actively, actively going to miss that person. That's a dog that cares. Whereas it may be that the cat has noticed that you, you, you're patting, but they're going, so? <laughs> not <laughs> interested. But that's the difference. The dog is part of our family. The dog actually loves us. And it really doesn't matter if they're the, you know, the highest IQ in the world. The fact they love us that much is amazing. So totally. yeah, we, we can forgive it that that they may not have, uh, you know, they may not be a doggy Einstein, but you know. No, I listen, that's not what we want. You're absolutely right. Beverly, brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Beverly Cuddy there, editor of Dogs Today. I think the same could be said for some husbands, actually, that pretend to be more stupid than they really are oh, well, yeah, in order well, not to be taxed well, yes, too make, much. Yeah, offer to make breakfast and make yeah. such a mess in the yeah, kitchen they never, never, do that never again. get asked no, again. Exactly. Yeah. We I see through it. There's a lot of that going on. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via Dad online or via the talk radio app if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at talk radio during the show to have your say the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.